0: of course, we would like to welcome you to another edition of The Jazz Show on CITR. And, of course, um, my name is Gavin Walker, by the way, and we're here with some of the very best in jazz every Monday night. And this month, of course, the month of May, which is the month of Miles Davis's birth, and This is a very special occasion, because um, on May the 26th, which is Miles' official birthday, he would have been 90 years old. So it's kind of uh, one of those um, ideas that uh, prompted me to uh, play a whole series of Miles Davis recordings for you, Uh, in chronological order, basically, and um, a select group of recordings, selected by me. (laughs) And uh, I've kind of avoided the obvious uh, recordings. You won't hear kind of blue. Um, Everybody's heard that recording. If anything, it, it, it may even be... Uh, and and I hesitate. I may get controversial here, but I'm. I, I it's such a beautiful album, of course, uh, considered one of the finest uh, recordings of jazz in the history of the whole music. But it is kind of overexposed, and uh, so I may be treading on sacred ground here when I say that. But uh, that's it. There are other albums that Miles Davis did, and uh, we've. Um, uh, Attempted to uh, make kind of a judicial selection of uh, what we're going to hear, and uh, tonight is very special because it is the what is referred to as the second great quintet. Um, our first Miles Davis show tribute show this month was the first great quintet, which was his really his first organized band. And that, of course, was the band with John Coltrane, Red Garland, Paul Chambers, and Philly Joe Jones. And the second great quintet actually had its—we were able, right here in Vancouver, to observe the genesis of that. Now, I'm going back a number of years, early 1963— Miles Davis had a two night engagement here in Vancouver at the Inquisition Coffee House on Seymour Street. Located, it was located where the TELUS building is now, between uh, Robson and Georgia Street on the east side of Seymour Street. This is where the Inquisition Coffee House was. And of course, they had folk music there, they had some jazz. Uh, the owner of the place was a character by the name of uh, Howie Bateman. And, of course, he always dressed in a suit and tie and was very clean. They used to call him the button-down beatnik. <laughs> Howie Bateman was, was great, though. He was a, a fair club owner, and uh, I think he moved on to Toronto a few years later. Anyway, the big news in the jazz community here in Vancouver was that Miles Davis was going to be playing at the Inquisition Coffee House. Holy smoke. So, of course, everybody rushed down to get tickets for both nights, including myself. Um, And we all had been listening to, for years, Miles Davis records, and we all kind of assumed that Miles would be bringing uh, perhaps some of the people we heard on the records. And um, uh, we didn't know at the time who was currently in Miles Davis's band, but we sort of had an idea. And uh, so we expected uh, certain individuals to be here. Of course, when we went to the Inquisition, I remember going there the first, first night, and we're all, we're all waiting. Um, and then uh, six musicians came out from the back room. And, of course, I recognized them, but they were none of the musicians, it, with the exception of the drummer, there were none of the musicians that we expected to be playing with Miles Davis. These musicians were what we call the Memphis band. And this was a sextet. Mr. Davis, of course, was instantly recognizable. But the, the big, strappingly big tenor saxophone player was George Coleman. And the small very very light skinned um actually he was a light a, a light-skinned black man very light skinned was the alto saxophonist frank strozier and a big fella playing the piano whose hands <laughs> were were uh he could he he actually he could have worked as a as a wrestler because he he just had that 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 kind of uh, um, uh, hugeness and he had these huge hands. He was a piano player. His name is Harold Mayburn. And on bass was a very studious looking um, bearded young man. And he turned out to be Ron Carter. And the drummer was the only holdover from Miles' older bands and that was drummer Jimmy Cobb. So this was the beginning of the Second Great Quintet. Now, you might not be able to connect all of this, but Miles was had been quoted in a jazz magazine, I guess about six months previously, and they never used his name, but it was kind of a, a headline article in Downbeat magazine. Prominent trumpet-playing band leader. I mean, who the hell... <laughs> it had to be Miles Davis, it was, was quoted as saying this, I'm totally bored with music, I'm totally bored with my band. These are the best guys in the world playing my music, but I'm tired of it. I want something new. I don't quite know what I want, but I want something new. I'm tired of playing the music I've been playing. Same old tunes, night after night after night. I'm finished with them, and and I'm tired of playing with the guys in my band, as great as they are. That was the basic quote, and we all knew it was Miles Davis, of course, although the article didn't say it was Miles Davis. You had to be a damn fool not to know it wasn't Miles Davis. And (laughs) so this was kind of, this rang a bell with me when all these guys came out. I thought, hey, this is kind of, this is something new here this this is what miles this is what that little blurb in that magazine was talking about he's got a whole bunch of new guys in the bed with the exception of the drummer and um huh interesting anyway the music was fabulous absolutely fabulous by by the um and there's a whole bunch of stories connected with that too and uh, we got to meet all the, uh everybody and uh, it was it was quite a wonderful experience uh, for Vancouver to have Miles here with that particular band for two nights. Unfortunately, that band never recorded. There is there are no recorded um, bootleg uh, tapes. Nothing about that band. But that was the beginning of the second great quintet. What happened after that was that um miles went down to uh he played down the coast he played at the black walk in san francisco and he played a gig in los angeles and did some recording um with uh, um some people uh in, including the, the 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 people that he brought up uh not all of them and then he headed back to new york and uh the whole band headed back miles um said goodbye to alto saxophonist Frank Strozier, and he also said uh, goodbye to pianist Harold Mayburn. And Jimmy Cobb uh, had agreed only to do this last tour with Miles, so he was out of the band. So Miles was with a saxophone player. He kept George Coleman, and of course he kept bassist Ron Carter. But he also knew about a young piano player, from Chicago, classically trained by the name of Herbie Hancock. And he immediately phoned Herbie Hancock, who was available, and hired him. The next person was the guy that really shook up Miles and really headed, uh, uh, really inspired Miles, was a young drummer that was working with alto saxophonist Jackie McLean. He was also staying. He was only 17. He was from Boston, and he was staying with the McLean family. And uh, Jackie was overseeing him. And, of course, uh, the, young, the young man was working with Jackie. Miles went to a number of Jackie's gigs and was so impressed with this 17-year-old drummer that he told Jackie, he said, you know, we're friends, but I, I'm going to hire him. And Jackie said, you go ahead. Uh, you you can take him with my blessing because he you deserve him and he deserves you. And uh, you'll put him on the map because you've got the star power. So with Jackie's blessing, Miles hired Tony Williams, who was then um, known <laughs> initially as Anthony Williams, of course, which is his proper name. Tony Williams, 17 years old. He was the man who really shook up Miles. So Miles had the makings of the second great quintet there, and they did a whole bunch of seri- uh, a series of recordings. Um, George Coleman left in 1964, and he was replaced briefly by a recommendation by uh, Tony Williams, recommended an older musician by the name of Sam Rivers. And Sam joined Miles Davis on a short Japanese tour and some gigs. But Miles had another guy in mind. And Sam Rivers didn't quite fit with what Miles wanted. Miles had Wayne Shorter in mind. But Wayne was still committed to Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers. But after Miles returned from Japan, he took a couple of weeks off. He learned that Wayne Shorter had left Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers. And Miles got on the blower and called Wayne and said, you're in the band. And Wayne Shorter joined the band. And that's how the second great quintet was formed. Now, Miles not only got a great soloist in Wayne Shorter, one of the most original and and incredible tenor saxophonists, but a composer as well. So Wayne really transformed that second great quintet. Now this was a band that completely revolutionized music and they played very very free and and yet with structure this this band um it it was such an amazing band it was like five musicians breathing together the unity in this band was 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 quite unbelievable and of course the music was so contemporary and so much more um, modern uh the rhythms went everywhere uh, uh, rhythms would stop and start, and um, a tune would begin as a ballad and then go into an up tempo and then come down as a uh, and move all kinds of shapes and sizes. The band was so flexible and uh, it was uh, absolutely incredible, and they made a whole series of albums, mostly studio albums. But those of us who heard this band in person, as much as we loved those studio albums, the band in person, there was absolutely no comparison. And I heard this band many times, this particular quintet, and I couldn't believe um, that the records, as great as they were, there was, they were absolutely no match for what you heard in person. And um, what we're gonna hear tonight is this band in person. During their last leg, this was, um, we're going to go back to a concert in Stockholm, Sweden. They did a European tour at the tail end of 1967. And this was the last sort of real um, get-together with the band because Miles realized that this band could not achieve anything more than what they do here and if he would have to change the music because um, this, this band had reached, reached such a very high level that it, it really couldn't get any better and Miles Davis was never one to rest on his laurels and he realized that he could keep this music going for years but it would get stale and he didn't want that to happen so he he moved in a different direction very soon after this tour was over. But we're, we're going to hear the second great quintet at their peak. And this uh, this is a concert recorded in Sweden, in Stockholm, Konthuset, uh the big hall there in Stockholm, on Halloween night in 1967. And we're going to hear a bunch of tunes with the band. So we'll get to the music right away. And... Uh, Once again, the band is Miles Davis on trumpet, Wayne Shorter on tenor saxophone, Herbie Hancock on piano, Ron Carter on bass, and some amazing, amazing drumming by Tony Williams. The tunes are what Miles was doing at the time. There are no breaks in the tunes. They just go from one to another very quickly. It's almost like a suite, so the, 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 the switch is very sudden. And um, before, uh, back in the earlier days, there was always a break, applause, a new tune, but uh, Miles didn't want that anymore. So the tunes are all segued together, and they begin with a Miles Davis composition. He always opened the show with his tune. It's called Agitation. And then we move to Wayne Shorter's most famous composition called Footprints, and then we go right to... A most interesting interpretation of Philonius Monk's most famous composition, Round Midnight. And then we go to a Jimmy Heath composition, which was a, a staple of this band, a tune called Gingerbread Boy. And then uh, a little break of the theme, and that's basically the concert. So that's what we're going to hear. This is our jazz feature. This is our third tribute to the music of Miles Davis. And we hope that you enjoy the second great quintet (laughs)
1: Uh-huh. <laughs>
0: And that is our jazz feature this evening, a performance by the what was known as the second great quintet, led by Miles Davis. And uh, as was their habit at that time, um, Miles just uh, segued all the tunes together. And, of course, we heard uh, some incredible intuitive music by this band because uh, they were able to go in any direction, switch gears. Uh, they were so dynamic and um, just uh, kept your interest so much. And of course, uh, as I said, these live recordings um, that just recently came out uh, a couple of years ago uh, were real um, a very, very good representation of what this band sounded like and um, actually were very different from the uh, studio music, uh, studio performances that were done by this uh, band. As good as those studio performances were, these live performances um, just take the music in such a different direction. And so we heard um, this relatively short concert Uh, recorded uh, in Stockholm on Halloween night in 1967 at the uh, big uh, concert, Fusat Hall there. The personnel in the band, of course, uh, Miles Davis on trumpet, Wayne Shorter on tenor saxophone, Herbie Hancock on piano, Ron Carter on bass, and some amazing drumming by Tony Williams, the youngest member of the band. And the compositions we heard, they were, as I said, they were all segued together. Uh, The first uh, piece of music was entitled Agitation, that was written by Miles Davis, and that was soon followed by Wayne Shorter's most famous composition, Footprints. Then we moved from there to a most interesting version of Thelonious Monk's Round Midnight, and uh, that took all kinds of different directions. And then the final tune was Jimmy Heath's uh tune which was a staple of this band gingerbread boy and a little touch of the theme and applause and thank you very much ladies and gentlemen and um that was the uh the jazz feature and of course our third tribute to the great mr davis we're going to have more miles a little later on on the show there was a piece of music that i wasn't able to play for you a very rare piece of music from uh, the famous Milestones uh, recording session uh, that took place in 1958, which we featured last week, and we were able to give you most of that. What we're going to do, um, not right away, but those of you that want to uh, stay around and listen, it should be some very interesting performances by um, the the band that recorded the album Milestones with uh, John Coltrane and Cannonball Adderley. Uh, what we're going to hear are, um, three alternate takes that were never issued. Uh, they were first takes of, um, three of the tunes from, uh, that, uh, plus this very rare tune, which was never ever released except on a very expensive box set. And it was only released once. And, um, As I said, I wasn't able to play it last week, um, but uh, I should be able to play it this week for you, barring uh, (laughs) our CD players. Sometimes they don't like CDs, and and, uh, (laughs) they don't play them well, and there's not much we can do about it, but that's the way it goes. Anyway, we're going to do that a little later on in the show, and uh, we'd uh, just like to thank you and um, hope you enjoyed our jazz feature, our third tribute to the great mr davis and the second great quintet you are listening to the jazz show on citr fm 101.9 or on your computer www.citr.ca and we shall return with some music by someone who's going to be celebrating a birthday tomorrow. And we're going to hear some music by Jackie McLean, one of the great voices of the alto saxophone, and uh, some selected performances by Mr. McLean, who will be celebrating a birthday anniversary tomorrow, May 17th.
2: On Labor Day weekend, September 2nd to the 4th, it's the Bumbershoot Festival 2016 in Seattle, Washington. The festival's got a little something for everyone with music, comedy, arts, culture, and food. Featuring Chastity Belt, So Pitted, Dude York, Macklemore and Ryan Lewis, Death Cab for Cutie, and more. Passes are on sale now, so head on over to bumbershoot.com. Are you interested in indigenous issues? Do you get ticked off with ongoing colonization? Do you have something to say? or do you want to learn more we have just the thing join UBC's first ever indigenous radio collective at CITR radio unceded Musqueam territories our show unceded airwaves airs every monday from 11 to 12 and we meet from 12 to 1 to plan our upcoming shows we're interested in content covering various things from film to literature current day politics history whatever you want to talk about we're into it everyone welcome indigenous and non-indigenous You're listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Honkamenim-speaking Musqueam people.
0: All right. Jackie McLean was born in Harlem and raised there and was one of the major voices of the alto saxophone. Tomorrow will be his birthday anniversary. And uh, Jackie was born May seventeenth, 1931, and uh, passed away in 2006 after a long illness. Jackie, of course, was uh, a mainstay of... Um, the music scene in the 50s and of course in the 60s he signed with Blue Note Records and um, uh, as a mature artist and uh, moved in some very interesting and very different directions and of course uh, maintained his status as one of the most uh, unique voices of the alto saxophone. Jackie was affiliated with Prestige Records in the 50s in his young days and Blue Note Um, records later on. And of course, his uh, recorded legacy is long. He he made a lot of recordings, made a lot of sessions, and um, was such a a great and distinctive player. Later on, he became an educator and started the uh, school, um, the Hart School of Music in Hartford, Connecticut with uh, with his wife, Dolly, and of course was responsible for educating some of the great musicians today, people like Jimmy Green, um, Trombonist Steve Davis, um, all kinds of other people. Uh, Jackie was uh, their their mentor. My my good friend uh, Mike DeRubo, who is a, a wonderful alto saxophonist, uh, studied with Jackie McLean, and and so many other people. He he was truly uh, an inspiring human being who had a a great um, sense of. Um, he essentially grew up on the streets of Harlem. So he, he had that earthy street sense, but that wisdom of uh, all the great elders in, uh, in jazz music and uh, wisdom that was beyond his, uh, way beyond um, his formal education, which he, he didn't have a lot of. But uh, sometimes those are the, the most intelligent and greatest people around. Jackie recorded so much. And uh, there's a lot of great recordings. I I could have picked from 50 or 60 uh, recordings by Jackie McLean. But uh, um, I thought I'd go back to this particular session, which was uh, one of his prestige records. And it's called Jackie McLean and Company. And uh, it was done in February of 1957. So this is early Jackie McLean. And and, um, I got to know Jackie uh, not well, but we had some very interesting conversations, and and uh, he he was quite critical of his work on prestige records, and, and I said, well, that's the stuff that I grew up on and inspired me to play music, and, and that kind of took him back a little bit, and he said, well, he said, it, 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 the reason I, I put that period down, he said it was a very unsettled period in, in my personal life, and he said I I felt a little bit exploited by the prestige label. Never got any royalties from them. Uh we did we basically played this made these recordings for cash and um that sort of thing and he he said my my playing was not as developed as I wanted it to be kind of thing. And I said well we can all look back on stuff that we have done in earlier years and 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 know how we can improve on it. But I said these early recordings really stand up to time. And uh, uh, I, I remember I, I pointed a finger. I was just kind of kidding him, but I pointed a finger, shook my finger at him, and, and said, You know, you should go back and listen to your own records. You probably reappreciate them. And he cracked up and he laughed. And he, he said, You're the first person to tell me that. But he said, he said You know, maybe I'm going to do that. Uh, it was. I remember that conversation quite well with, uh, with, with, with Jackie. Anyway, we're, we're going to go back to this recording session. This is Jackie McLean on alto saxophone with his buddy. Um, fairly new, uh, newly arrived from Cleveland, Ohio. They were working together with Art Blakey. Um, they were part of the, um, I guess, what people call a, the second Art Blakey jazz messengers. So um, Bill Hardman on trumpet. On piano, Jackie's favorite piano player of the time, Mel Waldron. And on bass, Doug Watkins. And on drums, the great uh, Harlem drummer, Arthur Taylor. And, of course, uh, Arthur Taylor was one of the most widely recorded drummers of his era. We're going to hear two tracks from this uh, album from Jackie McLean and Company. That's the title of the album. Uh, The first composition is the blues, written by Jackie McLean, named for himself. It's called Bo Jack. And uh, the second tune is very beautiful. It's a ballad, a very soulful ballad, uh, as only Mel Waldron could write those things. He was a great writer. And uh, this is a beautiful tune, one of my favorite of all Mel Waldron tunes. It's called Mirage. So BoJack and Mirage. Jackie McLean and company. And uh, wherever you are, Jackie, happy birthday. Tomorrow, May 17th. actually going to uh, put this CD in a different player, and hopefully it plays a little better. Uh, it just sounds a little rough, and uh, we don't know. These things sometimes happen with uh, CDs. And Seeing as this is a live show, we want to get everything uh Everything right, and uh, we can't we can't go back, so we're gonna just try this in a different player, and uh, see if we can if it'll play without those um, extraneous noises. Because this is a very beautiful tune, so we're gonna start it again. Uh, and the tune is entitled Mirage, and hopefully it will sound uh, without uh, all that kind of bumps and stuff. All right, here we go. Well, that sounded uh, a lot better than uh, the first time we tried it. Yeah, sometimes uh players just don't like CDs. Certain CDs and uh they won't play them. So, that's why we had to make the switch on that last tune and I'm glad we did because we heard a uh, beautiful performance by Jackie McLean and company, which is the title of the original title of the uh, Prestige album that uh from Those two tracks that we played uh, are from. Recorded uh, during the early years, I guess this is what we call early Jackie McLean, when he was under contract with Prestige Records during the 1950s. And of course, in early 1957, uh, McLean was uh, a part of uh, Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers as well, and uh, was working steadily with, uh, with them. This recording took place February 8th, 1957. We heard two tracks. The first one was a blues called Bojack, written by Jackie McLean, straight blues. And the second tune was written by pianist Mel Waldron and entitled Mirage. The people involved here Jackie, of course, on alto saxophone, Bill Hardman on trumpet. On piano, Mel Waldron, as I mentioned, Doug Watkins on bass, and Arthur Taylor on drums. And of course, tomorrow, May 17th, will be Jackie McLean's birthday anniversary. He was born in Harlem in on May 17th, 1931, and passed away in 2006, and of course he was... Um, great saxophonist, alto saxophonist, and also uh, later on went on to become uh, a really great educator as well and made a significant contribution to the legacy of jazz music. We all miss Jackie McLean. We're going to hear some later Jackie McLean in a very few moments, but we have some important announcements to make. are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR. My name's Gavin Walker, and we're here every Monday night with some of the very best in jazz music. We broadcast here, 101.9, from the campus of the University of British Columbia on unceded Musqueam Territory. And we're also on the web, www.citr.ca, for live streaming and we shall return right after these significant messages.
2: Do you like friends? Well, we like you. So become a member and get a Friends of CITR card. Not only does it make you special, but it gives you all kinds of deals with our friends on Main Street, including 10% off anti antisocial skateboard shop, Devil May Wear, Red Cat Records, Woo Vintage Clothing, and more. Visit CITR.ca for more, or come check us out the next. For over 30 years, there has been one voice in the local Vancouver art scene that has stood above the rest, and that's Discorder, that conspiracy, punk rock, foxcore, sassy, still-publishing magazine from CITR. We're one of the established and trusted voices of Vancouver's music and arts culture in the Lower Mainland, with 8,000 copies distributed monthly to over 135 distribution locations from the Lido to Zulu Records. Discorder is one of the few magazines published by a community radio station, and we only serve up the freshest local and
1: Canadian goods.
2: We have interviews with artists, album reviews, live show reviews, and articles about everything important to our crazy, unique, varied, and amazing culture in Vancouver and across the country. Pick up your free copy of Discorder today or sign up to have it delivered to your door wherever you are. Check out our website for distribution locations and all the information about advertising and getting involved with Discorder.
0: Well, we got some weather for you. Yeah, well, it's going to be a bit of a dull week, I'm afraid. But uh, tonight is mainly cloudy with a low of 12. Tomorrow will be mainly cloudy as well. Uh, It's going to hang around most of the day with a low of 12 and a high of 19. Then Wednesday is uh, actually there's going to be a 40% chance of a shower on Wednesday. And naturally, it's going to be cloudy with a low of 11 and a high of 17. And then an increased chance to a 60% chance on Thursday. Cloudy once again, of course, with a low of 11, high of 15. And Friday, too, 60% chance of a shower with a low of 10, high of 18. So kind of mediocre weather, but uh, not terribly unpleasant. But uh, I guess we need a little bit of uh, shower activity, you know, help the flowers grow, all that sort of stuff. Saturday's going to be cloudy with a low of 10, high of 17. And we're back to a 60% chance of a shower for Sunday with a low of 11 and a high of 17. So that's pretty well the um, the picture for this week. Um, you're not going to be able to work on your tans. Uh very much <laughs> unless it's uh, filtered through all that cloud, which is uh pretty difficult. But anyway. All right. We're gonna return now to a later period. We're still ma- uh paying tribute to Jackie McLean. But this is from this is from nineteen sixty six. So it's basically eight years hence. And of course Jackie is a much more developed saxophonist. His music is opened up a whole lot more, and of course, um, this is actually from a a rare album that um, was recorded for Blue Note but never issued uh, until years and years later, and it's only available on a a deluxe box set, which you probably can't get anymore, this particular session. Um, I like it a lot because it's one of Jackie's few quartet sessions. He usually worked with another horn, but this is Jackie with uh, just piano, bass, and drums, and uh, what a rhythm section. But um, Mr. McLean on alto saxophone. This was all recorded uh, in New York April eighteenth, 1966. The album uh, was issued um, briefly and entitled High Frequency, and um, it featured... Jackie on alto saxophone with the great, and still with us, Larry Willis on piano, Don Moore on bass, and someone who is still very much with us, drummer Jack DeJohnette. You know, Jackie had a thing with drummers. He was the one that brought Tony Williams to New York and introduced Tony to Miles Davis. Uh, Jackie McLean actually brought Jack DeJohnette to New York and gave him his first gigs. And of course, Jack, after that, never looked back. And he also joined Miles Davis. So there you go. Jackie had a thing for um, picking out drummers. So that's the personnel. McLean, Willis, Moore, Jeanette. And we're going to hear a Larry Willis composition to open the set called High Frequency. That's the title uh, of the album. And um, then we're going to go to a Don Moore composition entitled Joseph Bossa. And... Um, Maybe another tune after that. In tribute to the late, great voice of the alto saxophone, Jackie McLean. So here's high frequency. We heard three selections from an album that actually was never issued until years and years later, and it was uh, one of those rare sessions with uh, a gentleman we're paying a birthday tribute to, although his birthday is uh, tomorrow, Um, we're paying tribute to alto saxophone master Jackie McLean. Jackie didn't do that many quartets uh dates and this is one of the few and this is from a, a later period in Jackie's uh career where he was uh uh combining both uh sort of a straight ahead attitude and also uh looking uh looking ahead and and doing some very different things on the uh on his alto saxophone and uh, and playing some very different music and uh, this is a really good album I've always liked it and it's a, a very personal statement Um, And it it, it says exactly where Jackie was at this stage in his uh, playing career. The album was recorded in New York City, uh, April 18, 1966. Jackie McLean on alto saxophone, The Great, and still with us, Larry Willis on piano, Donald Moore on bass, and someone else who is still very much with us, Jack Dijonette on drums. And we heard three selections from this uh, album. The first was a Larry Willis composition entitled High Frequency. And then the second piece of music was written by Don Moore, and it was entitled Jossa Bossa. And the third tune was a Jackie McLean composition entitled Combined Effort. And, uh, of course, uh, the whole band sort of operated very intuitively. And uh, I really, uh, really enjoy Jackie's playing on on this date. And uh, it showed him taking some very different directions. So that concludes our birthday tribute to the great uh, alto saxophonist who was born uh, May 17, 1931 in Harlem and passed away 2006. Jackie was also a great educator and began the Hart School of Music in Hartford, Connecticut, uh, along with his wife, uh, Dolly, and uh, Jackie um, managed to inspire some great musicians who are playing today. As I mentioned before, Jimmy Green, uh, Steve Davis, uh, Mike DeRubo, and dozens and dozens of others were inspired by Jackie's teachings and um, just him mentoring uh, all of these great players. And, of course, Jackie never stopped playing right up until the very end. Jackie McLean. All right. We shall return with some uh, music, Uh, some of what we promised, some Miles Davis music from um, the famous Milestone session that we didn't get around to playing last week. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR. My name's Gavin Walker, and we're broadcasting here right out on the campus of the University of British Columbia, 101.9 on your FM dial, and of course on your computer, www.citr.ca, and we'll be right back. CITR Access Day is on Thursday, May 19th, starting at noon until 6 p.m. Join us for the afternoon for inclusive
2: radio about accessibility, self-advocacy, adapted technology, and more. Listen live at CITR 101.9 FM or streaming online at CITR.ca. You can email volunteer at CITR.ca for more information.
0: Something we'd like to tell you about, which we usually do every uh, week, are two great websites. One of them is the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blue Society, and everything is on there right now. That's coastaljazz.ca. Uh, their whole festival uh, program is on there. All the exciting artists that are coming to uh, Frankie's um, Jazz Club on Beattie Street, Frankie's Italian Kitchen, which is a great venue. And uh, there's so many artists that will be performing there. Rene Rossness and Terrell Stafford and all, all kinds of people are, are, are coming there, a the whole series of uh, wonderful concerts. that will also be uh, jam sessions. Uh, led by Mike Allen, starting at uh, 11 o'clock. And, of course, that's during the Jazz Festival. So if you want to find out about this year's Jazz Festival, that's the best place to go is coastaljazz.ca. You can purchase tickets online. You can um, set up what you want to hear and your times and all this kind of stuff. You can do it all from your computer. And so it's a great comprehensive website, coastaljazz.ca. I can't recommend it highly enough. And, of course, the other fine website, too, is Brian Nation's website that he administers, and that is VancouverJazz.com. VancouverJazz.com. It's got all kinds of interesting links and uh, stuff to uh, read, musicians' biographies, and uh, just various um, interesting pieces all over the place. Uh, So just check all the links on that website. So you've got the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society, coastaljazz.ca, and vancouverjazz.com. Two great websites to uh, enhance your um, interest in jazz music. All right. And uh, I'd just like to mention my good friend uh, Ken Speller. Ken Speller is a musician who plays the saxophone, a very, very good player, and also teaches music. And uh, he has a business called Music at Home, and he, he will come to your house and um, teach you how to play saxophone, flute, clarinet, uh, whichever you prefer, and advise you on uh, how to rent a decent instrument or buy a decent instrument, uh, one that you're going to keep and, uh, and work on and get good at, all that sort of stuff. He teaches beginners, intermediates, professionals, and so on. And he also repairs instruments as well. He has his workshop in his home, so he doesn't charge you an arm and a leg. He doesn't have this store overhead to to cover. And uh, he is an excellent musical instrument repairman. And as we all know, those of us that play clarinet, saxophone, flute, these instruments uh, are like cars. They need uh, tweaking, upgrading, upgrading. Um, maintenance, all that kind of stuff. And uh, Ken is the man to do it. You can reach him at 778-800-1933. That's 778 Or you can go online and reach him at Speller K-S-P-E-L-L-E-R underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. Speller, all one word, underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. And he's located uh, in the 4200 block of Grange Avenue, which is uh, very near Metrotown. And so he's uh, pretty easily accessible. He's moved his uh, base of operations from North Vancouver to close to Metrotown in Burnaby. So uh, check him out. Good man to know. All right. Last week... We played the complete milestones session. This was a historic date um, that I think is one of the... Tony Williams actually said that this was the greatest jazz record ever made. Uh, That could be a little over the top. You could argue that one. However... There's no doubt that this is an excellent record, and this is also the recording that I would take if I had a choice of, I mentioned this last week, if I had the choice of one Miles Davis record to take to a desert island, this would be the one I would take. Interestingly enough, I've got three alternate takes that we didn't play last week from this session, and they're excellent. Um, Plus... A piece of music, from you see, the album was done in two separate sessions: one in February of fifty-eight, and one of Mart in March of nineteen fifty-eight. And the um, three alternate takes are from the very first session, and uh, the the versions are very good. And if you've never heard them before, they're very interesting, especially if you know the um the master takes from this uh, album uh these alternate takes are are extremely interesting they're all, they're all first takes so um and then they decided to do them all again with some minor tweaks and um the third tune we weren't able to play last week because uh somehow the cd didn't uh uh work on our player and uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll do that but we'll First of all, we'll play the alternate takes from the first recording session, which took place February 4, 1958 in New York City, Columbia Records Studios. So the first version, this is take one of the first tune that was recorded on the date, and we're going to hear uh, the John Lewis Dizzy Gillespie classic called Two Bass Hit, which features uh, actually features the two saxophonists on here. Incidentally, the personnel of this band, Miles Davis on trumpet, John Coltrane, tenor saxophone, Julian Cannonball Adderley, alto saxophone, Red Garland, piano, Paul Chambers on bass, and Philly Joe Jones on drums. So the opening tune is two bass hit. The second tune is a tune called Milestones. And this was the new tune that Miles recorded and sort of uh, uh, pointed at uh, what he was going to be doing in the future in music. And it's a very interesting version. I think it's just as good as the um, commonly known master take of this tune, but this uh, um, this is an excellent version. That's all I can say. Tune number three is the extended blues, the Thelonious Monk composition, Straight Note Chaser. And it's perfect, except, except, and the reason why they decided to do it again is that somehow um, during Red Garland's piano solo, he was attempting something, and it didn't quite come off. And um, most of his solo is really good, but it's just kind of the uh, the last chorus where he kind of flubs, and um, the tune is continued, but uh, that was what caused the Miles Davis to say, let's let's do it again. So <laughs> there you go. And um, we'll get to the mystery track uh, after we hear these first three alternate takes. And I think if you're familiar with the album, you're going to find these takes very interesting. So here we go. And we begin with two bass hit. Well, there you have it. Those are the alternate takes from the famous Milestones session led by Miles Davis on trumpet with John Coltrane on tenor saxophone, Julian Cannonball Adderley on alto saxophone, Red Garland on piano, Paul Chambers on bass, and Philly Joe Jones on drums. And these were the three alternate takes um, that were of course not on the original LP or even on the original CD issue of this uh, album. It was uh, they put them out later on a deluxe box set. But uh, we heard uh, opened up with uh, two bass hit, which featured the uh, the two saxophone players, John Coltrane and Cannonball Adderley, and um, that was kind of an ensemble tune. And then the uh, second tune, of course, was Miles Davis's uh, kind of revolutionary composition for the time and pointed at his musical future and the use of uh, modal scales and so on, a wonderful piece called Milestones. And the third piece, of course, was uh, a Straight Down the Middle Blues, uh, written by Thelonious Monk, Straight No Chaser. And the only reason they did a second take was that... Uh, Red Garland. At the very end, the pianist uh, at the very end of his solo, it kind of fizzled. He was trying something and it didn't quite work out, and he kind of gave up. And um, that's when they, um, obviously, they they would simply do another another take of it, and uh, he he'll straighten out whatever problem he had. So, um, that's it. Anyway, uh, those were um, all I think on an extremely high level. We're now going to go to the very rare track from the second session. And, of course, uh, I went into detail last week because it was the jazz feature uh, about the uh, second session. Um, There's two different stories about what happened here. It's the same band, except uh, there is no Red Garland. And um, the one story I heard was that they when they all came together in the studio. Red Garland had a bit of an argument with Miles Davis and uh, words were exchanged and Red left. And that was it. But uh, I think the real story is the one I told last week. Um, Red was simply late. He had a reputation for being very tardy. Miles Davis put up um, with it Uh, on club gigs and so on because they could always play without a piano for a while and and Red would eventually show. But on a record date, you know, there's so many factors uh, and so many people involved, time, money, and it's a record date after all. You know, you better show up. And Red was uh, very late on on this date. He eventually did show up, but it led to his uh, firing uh, from Miles Davis's band and uh, that's basically it. So Red Garland's not on this track that we're going to hear. This track was, uh, I used to see it in the discographies, and it uh, never was issued, ever, uh, except on a very expensive box set. That's the only time it ever came out. And it's a piece of music written by Jackie McLean, as a matter of fact, um, and it's called Little Melanie, and Melanie was Jackie's daughter and he wrote it when she was a little girl. The interesting thing about this tune was, of course, there is no piano on here, but there's also no Cannonball Adderley. Um, he, he stays out of this tune. He's on, the re- uh, he's on this recording session, of course. He's in the band, but he uh, does not play on this tune. So it's, it's a quartet version. And it's Miles Davis on trumpet, John Coltrane on tenor saxophone, Paul Chambers on bass and Philly Joe Jones on drums. And it's very interesting. It's not a perfect take, but it's a very, very good one as well. And the level, the playing level, is very high on, on this tune. So I hope you enjoy Little Melanie. the mystery track from that uh, session, and that was a version of Jackie McLean's Little Melanie, and of course that was recorded on March 4th, 1958, the uh, second uh, recording session which made up um, the famous uh, milestone recording, and uh, as was uh, what was happening on the second recording session done in March of 1958. There's no piano, uh, because he'd, he never showed up and uh, until later. And um, Cannonball Adderley didn't play on this tune, so it's just the four, uh, Miles Davis on trumpet, John Coltrane on tenor saxophone, Paul Chambers on bass, and Philly Joe Jones on drums, and a very interesting version of a kind of a mysterious-sounding Jackie McLean composition called Little Melanie. And that was part of the band's regular repertoire. But um, it was a tune that, uh, there were certain tunes that uh, Cannonball Adderley didn't play on, and and this was one of them. So there you go. And uh, an interesting version. And, of course, it was never, this thing was never issued. Uh, uh, You always read about it in um, discographies that it existed, but uh, Columbia never put it out except on a a very um, expensive deluxe box set. And it's the only time it was ever uh, put out. And it's uh, very definitely an acceptable version and uh, some great playing all around. All right, there you go. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR next week. Uh, is another tribute to Miles Davis, and we're going to be playing in its entirety a wonderful album called Fee de Kilimanjaro. And um, it's essentially the second great quintet, but it, it uh, shows how much Miles Davis's music had moved uh, from what we heard this earlier this evening uh, on the jazz feature Uh, because of the use of um, electronic instruments, uh, electric piano specifically, and just uh, Miles' um, concept and um, different brand-new ideas. And it showed a very definite change in direction. And it's an album that a lot of people um, have forgotten about. It's a great album. And, it, and uh, it's kind of overlooked, and so I, that's, um, I decided to select that as next week's uh, jazz feature, Fille de Kilimanjaro, and uh, it's a wonderful album, and it features the transition uh, Second Great Quintet. Um, the people involved in the Second Great Quintet, of course, are, are Wayne Shorter, Herbie Hancock, uh, Ron Carter, and Tony Williams. But uh, there is a definite change um, because a couple of the tunes are with the old quintet, but then a couple of tunes are with the new members. And the new members, uh, Chick Corea took over on piano from Herbie Hancock, and Dave Holland from um, London, England took over from Ron Carter in the bass chores. So uh, there's some tracks with them. And it's a very, very interesting and frequently overlooked album. So that's what we're going to hear next week on the Jazz Feature. Here is um, a very interesting album by a Canadian group. And it's kind of the Canadian... I've been listening to this album at home, and I like it very much. It's called Myriad Three Moons. And it's, by, uh, it's with uh, pianist Chris Donnelly and uh, bassist Dan Fortin and Ernesto Cervini on drums. And this trio is kind of like a Canadian version of the Bad Plus. It sort of is a piano trio, but it it is very different. It's not your um, traditional jazz piano trio. They they take the music in different directions, and uh, it reminded me of the Bad Plus. The music is really interesting. They're all virtuoso players. So we hear Chris Donnelly on piano and a little touch of synthesizer, Dan Fortin on um, acoustic bass, and Ernesto Cervini on drums. And we're going to hear a few tunes from this album. And uh, it's as I said, it's a very interesting recording. And uh, it's called Myriad Moons, or Myriad Three moons. Uh, Myriad moons, I think, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's kind of funny. There's a three figure there, but, well, because there are three people in the band. There you go. All right, the first tune is called Skeleton Key, and it's written, that's a bit of a play on words, and it's it's written by pianist uh, Chris Donnelly. And then the second tune we're going to hear is called Stoner, and it's written by the bassist, um Dan Fortin. And the third tune we're going to hear is one by Ernesto Cervini, the drummer, and it's called Brother Dom. So, three tunes from this uh, wonderful album, and we opened with Skeleton Key. Some pretty neat music by a group. I've actually figured out the album cover. the The group is called the Myriad Three, and the album is entitled Moons. and It's on the Alma label, and um, it's a uh, most interesting uh, a group of musicians. As I mentioned before, I think uh, this is kind of the Canadian version of the Bad Plus because they're definitely not uh, a straight-ahead jazz trio, but they are a most interesting trio. Chris Donnelly is uh, on piano and synthesizer. Dan Fortin on uh, upright bass, acoustic bass, and Ernesto Cervini on drums. And we heard compositions by three of them. Uh, We opened with uh, Chris Donnelly's scalaton Key, And um, which is kind of a play on words, Scalatin Key. And uh, the second tune was written by the bassist and entitled simply Stoner. And the third tune was written by the drummer Ernesto Cervini and it's called Brother Dom. So that uh, concludes this edition of The Jazz Show for uh, another Monday evening. And uh, as I mentioned before, next week's jazz feature is another tribute, of course, to the great Miles Davis, and the album is uh, one that's been frequently overlooked, I think, entitled Fee de Kilimanjaro, and it's a a wonderful, very innovative, and very different Miles Davis album, and uh, I think you'll enjoy it. So do join us next week, next Monday. We start the show, of course, every Monday at 9 p.m. and carry on until after midnight. My name is Gavin Walker, and this has been another edition of The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9, broadcasting from the University of British Columbia, right out here on unceded Musqueam territory. We are also on the web. CITR.ca for live streaming. So we'll see you in seven days' time. Take care. Stay out of the rain. Bye bye.